Hey, podcast listener. Are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. Welcome to Smart Strategy for CPAs. My name is Geraldine Carter. I have an episode for you today called Pricing Made Simple for CPAs. And I made this episode because there is so much conversation out there around pricing. And there can be a lot to learn that in a way that makes it overwhelming and can make it hard for you to know which pricing tools to use in your business and which ones you don't need to pay attention to. There's also a lot of conflation around the word value pricing and what that includes and what it doesn't include. Recently, I was asked to record a webinar that provides CPE. So if you would like this information and get CPEs for it, find the link in the show notes. Because I've covered why cost plus and hourly billing are tragic for your business in other episodes, I'm going to skip right to the middle of this CPE where we talk about how to better improve your ability to understand where value comes from on your client's behalf. After that, I get into eight different pricing tools that are available to you and which ones I think are best suited for what you are likely to be doing with your accounting practice. Before I jump over to the recording, I want to provide a quick story at my own expense. And that is that when I was 30, I bought my own house and my dad as a housewarming present got me a tool bucket and a power drill. Brand new, out of the box, receipt and everything. And one day I go to use the power drill to stick some screws in a beam. And I go, and the screw doesn't go in. So I look at the power drill and I'm like, huh, try again. The screw doesn't go in. What's wrong with this drill? Try one more time. Press the trigger. Screw doesn't go in. So I call my dad and I say, dad, the power drill is broken. And he says, tell me what's happening. So I tell him. And he says, do you see a little black button on the side of the drill? I say, yeah. He says, what happens if you push it? So I push it. And he says, try now. So I go, and the screw goes right in. And he goes, you had it in reverse. When I couldn't make the power drill work, the only logical conclusion that I could come to as a smart woman with an engineering degree from an Ivy League university who couldn't make her drill work is that the drill must be broken because smart women know how to make power drills work. And if my power drill is working, it's not because I'm not smart. It must be because it's broken, right? That was the only conclusion that I could come to. I mean, I didn't know that consciously at the time. I wasn't thinking that. Where my mind immediately went to was the power drill must be broken. 
And I see accountants and CPAs often saying that fixed pricing doesn't work for us or contingency made a mess for us or value pricing doesn't turn a profit for us. The tool is broken. And what I see quite often is that one tool is being used in a certain situation where another tool would be much more effective. Or perhaps a tool is being used in a certain situation, but it isn't being used exactly the way that it was intended. And so, of course, by appearance, the tool doesn't work. With that, I hope you enjoy this episode on how to better understand and increase value for your clients and clarify and understand eight pricing tools that you can use inside your CPA or accounting firm. A lot of CPAs and accountants hesitate to ask for help. There are not a lot of people to go to. There are not a lot of examples for how to do this well. And a lot of CPAs are busy. There's a lot going on already. And so finding the right person to help you make this transition to bridge the gap appears to be too difficult. So easier to get some other things done and then go actually bill for some hours. The problem is that when you don't change to value-based and other types of pricing is that you are leaving truckloads of money on the table. Profitability is taking a massive hit. So let's do our first set of review questions and then we'll get into pricing tools. So what are the symptoms of hourly billing? Working long hours, clients who complain about their bills, feeling dejected about the time cost of business growth. The answer, of course, is all the above. These are all symptoms of hourly billing. These are not questions that you need to answer anywhere in particular. These are questions to help ensure that you are mastering grasping the material. So, All symptoms of hourly billing. If this is you, take heart. There is a path out of this. With the first review question behind us, now let's talk about value. Books have been written on value pricing. I want to help shortcut this learning process for you so that you can get right to it and understand how to assess value in the eyes of your clients. We need to talk about value being in the eye of the beholder, just like beauty. So for example, some people spend thousands of dollars on nice pens, while other people spend a few dollars or a few cents on pens. Other people spend lots of money, tens of thousands of dollars on watches, while other people will spend a few bucks. Somebody who shall not be named spends lots of money perhaps up to $10,000 on bicycles, whereas other people would be perfectly happy with a $20 beater for around town. Watches, pens, bikes, they do the same thing. You can spend a lot of money on one and justify it. You can spend very little money on the other and justify it. The difference is what matters to the buyer. So as a CPA, one idea that Um, is helpful to let go of is that your time is valuable to your client. My hunch is that your time, like I said earlier, they really don't care about your time. What they care about, what is valuable to them is most often clarity about their financial situation and the ability to make better decisions. And the ability to make better decisions leads to improved wealth, which often then leads to increased discretionary time. So you and your clients effectively in your businesses are likely to want the same thing as business owners. 
So how do we determine what is valuable to your clients? Here's the shortcut piece. You can always come back to the why questions when you're having conversations with your buyers, your prospects, or even as existing clients, you can still weave these or sprinkle these conversation, these questions in to understand what is really what is valuable to them. So you can ask why now, why me, and why in this manner? Those are the three questions to get at why they want to work with you right now in the way that they are. So why do this now sounds like, you know, in terms of, so let me give you some examples of how this sounds. Why do, why do this now? Why not, why not just wait for six months and see what happens? Or, you know, why didn't you do this a year ago? Why wasn't the time right then? What has you waited? What has you deciding this week to have this conversation? What had you pick up the phone this morning? Why is it that you couldn't wait until the end of the quarter to get this taken care of? Or why not wait five years and just see what happens? Why not wait it out and maybe the problem will resolve itself? Why are you doing this now? They're going to give you some reasons. I can't wait any longer. I try, I hired somebody else and it didn't work out and we've got a big deadline coming and we need to get this stuff out before the deadline. Um, I have a low, my, my, I need a loan approved and we need the loan to be approved in the next 30 days. So we need to get these clear financials. Now they're going to give you reasons why now is the time. Why in this manner? Why do it this way? Why not just, you know, get your financials from bench.com? Why not have your spouse do your QuickBooks? They were doing it fine before. Why not outsource it to, why not offshore it? Why do it? Why bring it over to us? Why have us do it? And they will give you a list of reasons. Oh my God, I did have my spouse do it. And we were just fighting all the time. I don't want to outsource it overseas. The time zone is a mismatch that doesn't work for me. We don't want to bring it in house. We would just as soon outsource it. That works better for us. We don't want to have, it's not something we want to deal with. They will tell you why they want to work with you or why they want to do it this way and why they want to work with you. Why, why hire somebody like me? Why hire an expensive firm like us to handle this? Um, why not hire somebody cheap? Why not get a college student to do it? Why not um, hire your son to do it? Who's being trained? Who's in accounting school right now? Why hire an expensive firm like us to do this for you? What is it about us that makes us special? You know, there are five CPAs in a square mile radius. Why not pick one of them? And they will go on to tell you, oh, we worked with that CPA around the corner and they were just, we could never get a hold of them. Their office was total chaos. We didn't get a good vibe. I never got along. I couldn't get on. Um, they wouldn't explain things to me in a way that I understood. They will tell you why all the reasons that they don't want to work with other people or other options. Listen carefully because that is valuable information that you can then capture. And if you're writing a proposal, you can turn around and put that material right into the proposal. So the why questions, keeping these tucked into your back pocket will enable you to understand what is valuable to either your prospect, if they haven't bought from you yet, or from your existing client. And you can absolutely weave these into conversation with your existing clients if you've never done this before. What we want to do then is once we've understood what's valuable to them in terms of the results that they're looking for, like I want reviewed financial statements in the next 30 days because I've got to go to the, uh, the bank, or if I had clear financial forecasts and we were able to do some scenario planning, I would know what I have again inv available for investment. 
If you could help me understand my revenue streams, I would know what drives revenue in my business more clearly, which would enable me, of course, then to do more of the things that drive revenue in my business and stop doing the things that really aren't driving that much revenue. And then my business would be simpler and I could stop working so many hours and then I could get home in time for my kid's baseball game. And then my wife and I would stop fighting about the long hours that I work and so on and so forth, right? And they will tell you um, the different outcomes that they want. So how do you assign a potential price to outcomes when they are intangible, in air quotes, and immeasurable, also in air quotes? How do you even begin to put a price on that? Because like the MasterCard ad, these things are priceless. Yet there is a ceiling at which there's a ceiling that your clients are willing to pay or your prospects are willing to pay for the things that they value. And you can think of value, you know, their value is going to be the maximum price that they are willing to pay for something for the thing that they value. But you don't want them paying the maximum price, the maximum value. You want a return on investment for them so that it's not what they're willing to pay isn't exactly equal to the value. So still, we need to have a starting point. So how do you get to the starting point of what the value is? And the answer is that at the outset, we have no idea. It's much like firing an arrow with a bow toward a hay bale with a target on it. And you don't, you've got a blindfold on. You don't know if your arrow is going to go sailing off into the woods past the hay bale or if it's going to hit the hay bale or if it's going to hit the target. But you've got to fire an arrow to at least get some feedback of whether or not you're even, <laughs> if your body is even squared off toward the hay bale. So how we can do that, how we get the feedback from your buyer in this conversation is to anchor really high in a way that's almost outlandish and ridiculous. And you also don't make any promises. So you say, for example, if we could get such and such outcome, if we could, if we could provide you with the forecast and the scenario planning that you're talking about needing that would help you make the decisions so you'd know what right purchases to make, so you'd know how to invest and you could make how, how much money could you make off of that? And they might give you a, you can, if they can't give you a figure, you can give them a range. Would you make a million dollars? Would you make a hundred thousand dollars? Would you make 10 or $10,000 or a hundred dollars? you can go in orders of magnitude and they will give you a sense. They will say, oh yeah, I mean, probably, and they'll maybe do some mental math and they'll say, um, yeah, probably three, four or $500,000, something like that. And then you can say, okay, look, I'm not going to guarantee that we can get you these outcomes, but let's just pretend for the sake of argument, let's just pretend we could get you these outcomes. What would, what would that be worth to you? And you kind of, and you play the, the part, what would that be worth to you? And you anchor high in a way that's outlandish. And you say, would that be worth $10 million, a million dollars, a hundred thousand dollars, $50,000? What are we talking here? $50? Give me a sense. And then they will also do the same thing. They will give you a sense of what that would be worth to them. They'll say, I mean, yeah, that would, if we could save $500,000, that would, that would be worth $100,000. Yeah. I mean, it would definitely be worth 50. It would probably be worth a hundred. Okay. So now you have something to work with. Is it scientific? No, that's part of the reason those of us who are linear thinkers are a little bit hesitant with this value pricing thing because it is squishy. But that is the process you can walk through, the conversation the script that you can work through with your prospect to help you uh, hone in on possible prices for things, right? You get a sense of what they're willing to spend. So what are the pricing tools that are available to you? 
There are at least 10 pricing tools that you can use. There are more. For the purposes of simplifying this down, I've gotten it down to eight that I suggest that you may want to use. Hourly, we've talked about cost plus. I will do a, uh, I'll go by quickly, but we've got eight more from there that my clients are using inside of their firms to be able to get off of hourly billing. So hourly we've hit cost plus is basically a higher margin form of hourly. Um, in construction, you know, this as markup in the accounting space, it looks like I'm going to charge you for QuickBooks, your subscription to, you know, QBO and other ancillary items that I'm just going to pass costs through. And I'm going to mark things up along the way. The main problem is that is the main problem with it is that you are leaving tons of cash on the table because it is divorced from value. It's relative to your costs. So you're missing out on all the cream between your cost and the value to your client. So let's go through the next eight pricing tools and how to use these in your firm. So flat rate fixed fee. This is great for, this is a great place to start when you're getting out of hourly. And it's really helpful to use flat and fixed fee for something that you do again and again and again and again. And the scope may vary a little bit, but really not that much. So an example of things that are great for flat and fixed fee are tax returns, right? 1040s, Schedule Cs, and so on. So you name the rate and you deliver the service regardless of the micro additions and whether it took, you know, an hour or an hour and 10 minutes or whether it took 50 minutes. It is $450 or Schedule C plus a personal return, $1,200. Doesn't matter how long it takes. The great thing about this is because it's likely that you've done so many of these, you know, you have a good sense of how long it's going to take and you can make sure that you price it in a way that is worth it to you to get done. And what your client loves is a predictable flat rate. They know how much it's going to cost before you get started on the work. So some other businesses that use flat rates, the dentist, you go get your teeth cleaning. If you don't have four wisdom teeth, you still pay the same as the person who has four wisdom teeth, same price. The prefix at the restaurant, if you've ever eaten where they have the appetizer, the main course, the dessert and the coffee, it's all whatever, $60. You get the whole meal at once, whether you switch out the lettuce garnish for the orange garnish. And the plane ticket takes you to the destination regardless. It's going from San Francisco to New York City. You get to the destination regardless of whether they route you over North Dakota or whether they route you over Louisiana. You pay the same price and it doesn't matter if there are tailwinds or headwinds. You don't get a bill when you arrive at the gate. Okay, so let's talk about segmented pricing. This is a really useful tool for when you have different kinds of clients and you think to yourself, I have this million dollar business owning client over here and they want accounting services and I have a hundred thousand dollar business owner and client over here and they want accounting services. One of them is going to take me a lot longer than the other because the million dollar client is an e-commerce business and the $100,000 client is a consultant who has, you know, five projects a year at 20,000. The bookkeeping is dead easy. How do I price accounting services with a flat rate? So what you do is you segment your population of clients and you group them like with like until they're 
similar enough that you can assign them the same price in a way that makes sense to you. So of course, it depends on how many clients you have, and it depends on how dissimilar or how alike they are, how many buckets you will have. But you continue to segment until the prices for each individual group make sense to you. And you stop when it starts to get so complicated that you can no longer keep track of it. Part of the process of simplifying a CPA firm and the whole business itself, if you will, is to reduce the variety of types of clients. So if you can, at the outset, get inside of, say, five kinds of businesses or three or two, then suddenly it becomes much easier to segment your pricing. It's very difficult to segment pricing when your client roster looks like a Jackson Pollock painting or a scatter plot. All of a sudden, how do you group these things? So part of the process of segmenting is finding the groups that look like each other and assigning them a price that makes sense to you. Now, many, some of you may, or you may recoil at the idea of charging different clients different prices for the same thing, but I'd like to suggest to you that you may be comfortable already with this idea in other industries. Like with airline tickets, there are 500 passengers on a plane there are probably 25 different price codes for the passengers on that plane. And everybody's happy with the price they paid because they brought because they bought it. If you've ever experienced a sliding scale like psychotherapists do, they don't want to limit people's access to mental health based on price. So they offer a sliding scale. Those who earn more pay more. Those who earn less pay less. And many of us are comfortable with that idea. Value pricing is something that people get really hung up on. So let's simplify this because not everything that is not hourly billing is value pricing. And I get for simplicity, we can put lots of things under the value umbrella and focus on value as a way to contrast it with, with hourly billing. But I would invite you to think about value pricing for discrete projects. By discrete, I mean with a clear beginning, a middle, and an end that are at least $10,000 in price. So we're looking at about $100,000 in value if you're doing 10% ROI. So what that leads to, the conclusion of that, is don't do value pricing in the traditional, in this sense of it, in this definition of it, for returns right? It's too much emotional effort to have a value pricing conversation asking the why questions, why me, why now in this manner, with 500 clients for whom you're doing 1040s and schedule C's. Don't do that. Flat rate your schedule C's and your 1040s. Value price projects with a discrete beginning, middle, and end that are worth more than $10,000. The concept that you want to get inside your bones is that this deal is both great for you and great for me. You make $100,000, you pay me $10,000. That's great compensation, provided that the $10,000 is worth it to you. If it's going to take you all year to deliver on $10,000 project, that's not going to be worth it to you. So your job, there are two things happening here. The first thing is with value pricing, it ensures if you price it correctly, that the project will be profitable for both you and for your buyer. So let's just say, for argument's sake, it takes you a day to deliver on this thing that's going to be worth $10,000. Is that worth it to you? You have to decide. 
you have to set the minimum price at which it would be worth it to you. Otherwise, don't do it and don't offer it at the price at which it's not beneath which it is not worth it to you. So the idea here is to create a deal where there's excellent value for the buyer and fair compensation for the person who is delivering, i.e. you. So if it takes you a day, if, sorry, if it takes you a day to deliver this thing that's worth $10,000 that is priced at $10,000 and is worth $100,000 to your dollars to your buyer, then that is, that would in theory be worth it. So we need in this part to get out of debits and credits thinking. It is not, I get $10,000, hooray for me and bad for you. It is, I get $10,000, hooray for me, awesome for you because you have $100,000. That is value creation. That is mutual on both sides, both parties create value. It is the opposite of mutually assured destruction of hourly billing. It's mutually assured benefit. Another option in your toolkit can be menu pricing. Menu pricing, you've probably seen when you have three options for subscription, software subscriptions, or you know, any number of things that offer you three possibilities, it gives your buyer a choice of yeses. It gives your buyer a choice. And the idea is they're going to say yes to one of them. And all three options will lead to the outcome that they want. By contrast, often what happens, and especially with hourly billing, here's my rate, take it or leave it. And buyers like to have some amount of choice. The psychology tells us, the research on pricing tells us that buyers like three options. They don't want four or five and they don't want two. They want three options. That's what makes them feel the most comfortable. So give them three options that all lead to the outcomes they desire. And, but they vary by the amount of handholding or support or other ways that are included in what you're doing. So a way to increase the price is faster access, faster response time. A way to reduce the price is more DIY, where they do some of the reading, maybe they do some of the work on their own, you're not doing it for them. So there, those are ways that you can spread the pricing out in the menu, but the outcome is still the same. Often the outcome is clarity, understanding of financials. So you want to design your menu so that each of the options leads to that outcome. How do you spread out your prices? What's the distance, the financial distance that you should put in between your menu options? We need to take a step back and bring strategy into this and ask ourselves the question, do you want the client to choose the middle option or do you want to drive the client to the highest level option? Bronze, silver, gold. Would you rather have them at silver? Would you rather have them at gold? There may be strategic reasons where you want them at silver. So you can think about how far to, there are different ways to spread out the prices in, to drive them either towards silver or towards gold. So I'll come back to those after I move through the rest of the pricing tools, but we'll talk about the spread between um, how far to spread out your prices when you're doing menu pricing. So let's talk about subscription. There's a lot of conversation around subscription. And what does that even mean? What does that look like? So there's an excellent book written by John Warlow called The Automatic Customer. You may know his book, Built to Sell. 
In his book, The Automatic Customer, he talks about nine, at least, different ways, nine different subscription models. The main idea is that you have regular recurring payment that goes on into the future. And the value in that is that the value of your business is much greater when you have cash guaranteed to come in well into the future compared to having to always generate new revenue every year. So some of the main ways that you can do subscription as a CPA are, of course, services, right, where your clients are basically subscribed. They pay monthly recurring revenue for whether it's fractional CFO, fractional controller accounting services, you can fold in audit protection, you can fold in tax returns into those services, bundle it, and then they pay you a monthly recurring fee. I'll quickly put an asterisk here. Ah, what if I take them on in February and they pay this reduced like a month, a yearly rate divided by 12, and then they get their tax return done and then they ghost. Don't offer it in February. You can only offer this through whenever you want to set the time, call it October, November, so that people don't enroll in a monthly recurring service. They pay you two months, they get their return done, and then they ghost, right? So you have open season and closed season on that. Coming back, you can have membership or access to a network. Oftentimes, we fail to see that the most value to our clients isn't necessarily in the thing that we do or provide. It's not necessarily in the accounting. It's not necessarily in the tax. It is not necessarily in the forecasting. Oftentimes, the community of people that we surround ourselves with can be enormously valuable. So think of the owner of a construction company who is brand new and would like some mentorship, and you have a community of construction companies on your roster, and you have them meet, let's say, quarterly to get to know each other, trade secrets, not compete to help each other become better business owners. That would be enormously valuable. It has nothing to do with you being a CPA, but that is something that you can sell that is not connected directly to the service that you provide. Oftentimes we get caught in believing that the service that we provide is the most valuable thing that we can provide. Another thing that people can subscribe to is your content. This comes after niching down, becoming an authority and an expert in a narrow industry. Once you become an authority, then you start generating, of course, content that both attracts people to you and makes them potentially want to subscribe to keep getting your content. CPA Trendlines, for example, offers content, expert authority content on subscription. So there are many ways to do subscription. It is relatively new, still being pioneered, still being figured out. And there are lots of, there is plenty of opportunity for you here. So retainer is great when you have a client who has completed a project with you, but doesn't want to get themselves off your IV drip just yet. They still want access to you for random one-off questions that come up. Having a retainer that's paid quarterly or paid annually can enable them to have access to you like an insurance program where they know they can get access to your brains on demand when needed. And knowing that can be incredibly valuable to them. And think about fire insurance. Just because your house hasn't had a fire in a long time doesn't mean you cancel. You haven't canceled your fire insurance. Having the insurance of being able to get answers quickly when needed is very valuable for people who are playing high stakes games. So 
consider this for, especially for um, clients who have outgrown you in some way. Do not think of retainer, or you can think of retainer, as uh, top-up prepaid hours, lawyer style, but that's not what I'm talking about here. It's a different kind of retainer. I'm talking about access to, to your smarts. All right, the last one here is contingency. And this is great for when you have a client where you see a ton of potential value and you're confident that you can create it, but the client or the buyer is risk averse or price adverse and they're not there yet. They don't see it. They, you see it, but they don't quite see it yet. So you know the value is there and what you don't want is to go and, you know, to lower the price and then go and create a ton of value and they get all the gains. You want to share in the gains. So you can reduce the risk to them and reduce the risk to you by offering a contingency in which the initial hurdle to get started is low enough for them to step over. And then when enormous value or when significant value is created, you share in the fruit of the results. In my experience working with my clients, this is, they rarely use this tool, but I have used this tool in my business and it does, it can work well when it is clear and kept simple. It can also spiral out of control and get really complicated. So if you're designing this, you want to design it with keeping it simple and fair in mind and having a finite period of time in which it's done so that it's clear that this is the end of the term. So those are 10 tools, 10 pricing tools for you to use. So let's go through a review question to help make sure that this knowledge sticks inside of your mind. So which situation is best for value pricing? Would you use it for productized services like tax returns? Would you use it for access to your intellectual property? Is it best used for projects with a discrete beginning, middle, and end? Or is it best with all of all of the above? And the answer, of course, is value pricing, as I think about it, is best for projects with a discrete beginning, middle, and end. It allows you to have the value conversation. You want the minimum price to be at least $10,000 to make it worth your while to have the conversation. For productized services, I suggest flat rate, same as fixed fee. For access to your intellectual property, I suggest retainer or potentially, depending on how we're talking about this, subscription. With our second review question behind us, let's move to menu pricing and curves. So there are two different kinds of pricing curves that you can implement when using menu pricing. So menu pricing, as a reminder, you give your client three options that all lead to the same outcome so that they have a choice of which option at which price is going to serve them best. They like to have three choices, three options to choose from. So with these different pricing curves, these different spreads, it enables you, it facilitates you building out your different services at different price points. One common mistake that I see is having prices that where the spread of difference between prices in the menu of options is either too close together or way too far apart. Your clients need them to be far enough apart that they can tell the difference. When your prices are too close together, they can't tell the difference between one service and another. 
Remember that your clients are not experts in your service and they do not, they are very unlikely to understand the details of all the deliverables of the things of the different things that you can provide. So you want to have your spread be far enough apart that they can understand that how the outcome, how working with you will be different in the different services and that they will lead, but that they will lead to the same outcome. When your prices are too far apart, it makes no sense. There's too much of a gap and your client in the buying process will feel left adrift. So there are two curves that are very straightforward to use. They are called might as well and they're called Goldilocks. Might as well is called might as well because it drives the buyer to the most expensive, the gold option. The thinking being, well, if I'm going to do bronze, then for this, you know, 50% increase, which has so much more value in it, I might as well do silver. And if I'm going to do silver, then for a tiny bit, 0.25 X more in price, I can get gold Gold is really worth it to me. What's in the gold level package is very valuable to me. Therefore, I might as well do the gold package. So this curve 1x, 1.5x, 1.75x is called might as well because it leads the buyer. The buyer thinks I might as well just go all the way for the gold. So drives the client to the gold level option. So you use this spread when you want the client, when you're in a position where you really want the client compared to when you're indifferent about getting the client. When you really want the client, you can use the might as well curve as incentive to get them to work with you in the gold level option. So just for some simple math here and a kind of high level example, let's just say the service that you offer um, is worth potentially $100,000 to your client just for easy math. Your fee and your fee for this might be $10,000 at the bronze level. The silver level would be $15,000. The gold level would be $17,500. So let's just pretend that you're a CPA, you're a solo CPA who has a lot of tax returns, a mix of business and personal, and with businesses kind of all over the place, and you want to begin to implement this. You could think of a service that is $10,000 that might include accounting and their tax return, $10,000. Accounting and tax return plus quarterly meetings, $15,000. Maybe if you don't think that that's quite right, you throw in some cash flow forecasting or some scenario planning or some tax strategy to make it worth $15,000. If you really want them to convert at $17,500, let's just say, totally pretend case here, accounting, your accounting done, tax returns done, some kind of forecasting strategy, maybe there's audit protection. If you can spread the audit risk over a bunch of clients, you include audit protection, um, two business day response time, quarterly meetings, or maybe monthly meetings, if that's worth it to you, you've got to decide. And then maybe review of financials or other ancillary things that come up that fit within that lane and that price. You can decide where you draw the line that would bump it over into special projects. And you would also have availability for short phone calls for quick questions. And then you put that at 17500 So that would be a way to take your services and kind of batch them up, set prices on them, 
at clear prices for you, clear prices for them. It's clear what's included, what's not included. And you have an appropriate spread that drives the client in this case to the gold option. So let's do the Goldilocks option. Goldilocks, you will remember, likes the middle everything, the porridge that's just the right temperature, the bed that's just the right size, and so on. So this curve drives your buyer to the middle option, which is why we call it Goldilocks. So the curve itself is 1x, 2.2x, and 5x. So let's take the same example of $100,000 of value for the client. Your smallest option, your bronze option, would be $10,000. Your silver option would be $22,000. And your gold option would be $50,000. You can see why this drives the buyer to the middle option. It certainly drives them away from the high-end option. Then position what's in the $22,000 option to really give them what they want. You can include bells and whistles in the 5X, the gold option, that they didn't really talk about. And that will drive them to the middle option. So you use this when you, indifference may be too charged a term, but when you're more neutral about whether or not the client takes the Lexus option. If you're really comfortable with your silver level option, the the value, so to speak, of having the gold level option, I've kind of thrown in the Lexus option here as the gold level option, is that it can force your buyer, it can help your buyer make that choice quite quickly, and you get them working in the service that you want them in because you designed it that way. And the $50,000 option serves as something of a decoy, an anchor, to contrast with, by comparison, it's clear I don't want to spend $50,000 on this project that I'm going to derive $100,000 value from. So it makes the middle option seem like a good deal. I've seen clients implement this when they have um, when they're doing ver- when they're doing a project for, in this case, some other CPAs that involved some programming and some development of forecasting where the value was going to be well in excess of $100,000. And we used the Goldilocks option to help the buyer move to the middle option by designing a project where it was mostly done for you. Option The bronze level option was very much DIY. It was, I will give you the guidance. I will tell you how to do it, but you are on your own to implement and build it. The buyer didn't want to build it herself. She wanted somebody to build it for her. That was the whole point. She didn't have time to build it herself. So she had, she found somebody who could build this project for her. So these are, both of these curves might as well and Goldilocks, you can find ways to implement them in your accounting practice. I do see the might as well curve implemented more commonly, especially at the initial advisory services phase when you're just fledgling out of um, orphan tax returns, orphan 1040s and schedule C's, and you want to get your best clients into something more like an advisory service package, much though I loathe the term advisory services because it means absolutely nothing. So in summary, because these can be uh, difficult to commit to memory, here are your pricing curves and menus once again. Might as well 1, 1.5x, uh, 1.75x, Goldilocks, 1, 2.2x, and 5x. You can also find these on my website, shethinksbigcoaching.com forward slash pricing. That's where that information lives. So you can always refer to it there. 
So what's the value in pricing curves and menus? They give your clients a choice. Your clients want options. They want three options, not five, not two. So it helps your clients say yes to you and um, helps prevent them from going to your competition, so to speak, to look for other options because their brain wants to be able to compare to something. If you don't give them anything to compare to, they're going to go compare you to your competition. This prevents that. Pricing curves and menus prevent that. Remember that all of your options inside of your pricing curves, your menu of options, all lead to the same outcome. So you could think of this like um, your clients are one in clarity with um, in terms of their finances. Imagine if you went to a, a restaurant, for example, because you were hungry and they served up uh, meals, prepared food, and had a little grocery section. So the analogy doesn't quite work, but just imagine that all of the options in there are going to lead you to solving your problem, which is I'm hungry and I want to eat, right? So fully prepared, cooked for you food, uh, prepared, you take it home and bake it, or little grocery shop, here are all the ingredients, you go assemble it. Everything solves the same problem. You're hungry, feeds you. Keep your Keep your options, your menus all lined up toward the same outcome. What you can typically vary most easily is the breadth and depth of support. So how quickly do I get back to you? What are my response times? And how often do we check in? I mentioned the buyer, it helps the buyer compare you to yourself rather than to other providers. So there are many ways here that pricing curves and menus will help your buyers make the decision that is best for them while remaining profitable for you. So we're concluding with our third review question. Which one is the Goldilocks pricing curve? 1, 1. 1.5, 1.75, 1, 2.2, and 5, or 1, 10, and 100? Or the one that comes with the lukewarm porridge and the medium-sized bed? And of course, it is 1, 2.2, and 5, whereas 1, 1.5, and 1.75, the first option is might as well. And the 1, 10x, and 100x, you can think of more like for a product ladder, which we didn't get to, that's in another video for you. So in summary, the symptoms of hourly billing. Working like mad for peanuts, overworking, underpaid, and no hope in sight. Clients who are angry and upset with you over their bills. Remember that hourly billing is tragic. It is like a Shakespeare play. It always ends in tragedy. It is terrible for your clients because the value proposition and the price for them is not clear. It is terrible for your business because you end up having to work far harder than you need to be and it is terrible for your profits. When I help my clients shift out of hourly billing and into using these pricing tools, my clients will quadruple their revenue in a year. That's how much opportunity is out there for you when you correct how you price and when you use these tools. So these specific pricing tools I brought in because they are the ones that my clients use. So I'm hoping that this simplified and distilled price the, you know, pay hundreds of pages of books that you could read on pricing to help you transition off of hourly billing 
provide more value to your firm and provide more value to your clients. And the pricing curves enable you to provide options so that your prospect, your buyer can choose the best way to work with you. Does the idea of pricing upfront make you go deer in the headlights? You wish you could, but you don't know how? The next time you charge somebody 75 bucks for the 30 minutes it took you to run a tax plan that saved your client $25,000, stop what you're doing and head over to SheThinksBigCoaching.com to subscribe to my daily drip of business strategy for CPAs. You'll get one easily digestible tip a day on how to position your business, how to price your services, and how to sell outcomes so that you can be more profitable, get your time back, and get off the tax hamster wheel for once and for all. That URL again is shethinksbigcoaching.com. All right, that's it from me. Have a great week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.